I'm Trudy Kerr, and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Kane Vella and Kaz Strobe are two rare individuals. Not only do they say what they believe, but they live what they believe, even when that has meant camping out in a converted van on their land in the height of summer, living off recycled water and a snail farm. Kane and Kaz believe in protecting what we have left of our environment. Probably most widely known for the cleanup group Get Trashed, but also sustainable and healthy living company Biomunch, Kane is often outspoken in the media on matters that matter. But Kane is also an academic, and Kaz, who is more selfly spoken of this formidable pair, is a talented dancer and dance teacher, and works with Step Up for Parkinson's, a charitable organisation that provides dance classes for those affected by the disease. But beyond their commitment to the environment, they have a great sense of humour and a love of all good things, such as fine red wine. Hello, Kaz. Hello, Kane. Welcome to the interviewer. Hello. Hello. And yes, bring on the red wine. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to both of you for being on the interviewer today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. But first of all, before we get any further, I want to ask you, how did you guys meet? Go right back to the very beginning. When you both met, were you already extremely passionate about the environment or did that come out of the relationship between the two of you? How did you meet? Well, um, firstly, we were neighbours. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the passion was there. Uh, certainly for myself, I had to get trashed in full swing at the time. And I do actually remember one of the first sort of dates we had or time we spent together. We were putting up a trash exhibition in an international conference um, here in Malta. And it was all to do with um, ocean pollution. And you had all these big, massive corporate plastic companies coming in. And there we are with our sea litter, uh, assembling it in a very, very, very posh five-star hotel in St. Julian's. And yeah, Cass was with me. We were just there and she was interested and she she expressed her interest in all these things. So... I guess we we were both interested in it, but in reality, she was just the neighbor upstairs. Um, you know that typical British song, "Knock twice on the ceiling if you wanna dance." I've never heard. Sorry, song sorry, before. sorry. I, I I really shouldn't sing, especially when there's a microphone in front of me. No, leave leave the, the singing to Kaz. But so Kaz, no. okay, fair <laughs> neither of you sing. No, no. Um, but Kaz, when you met uh, when you met Kane, was it? Was it important that he was involved in the environment? Was that part of the attraction? Or was it just that he was conveniently downstairs? It was definitely one of the reasons like that we got along so well. For me, it, it was something I've always been interested in. Um, I grew up in Canada. There's a lot of land in Canada. And I really, really was passionate about it. I mean, I spent my childhood in the forests or by the sea or the lakes. Um, so for me, this, this is super important. And one of the first things I noticed coming to Malta was, oh my God, like the trash everywhere you know it it's so condensed and concentrated and I never thought of environmentalism as a passion as I guess having an organization or a career for me this was just a lifestyle I always knew I wanted to live on a farm I always knew I wanted to be with nature but I never thought of it as producing vegetables you know as a job or um, getting these groups of people together and 
Um, I think with Kane, I saw that passion and I, I kind of jumped on board right away. Um, I think the cleanup with um, in 2018, the big cleanup, that was the first time where I really got involved um, organizing all the events. What was it like 60 cleanups, I think? Yes. Something around that. So we were organizing that together and for the bubble festival. So I think this is really, I guess, what pushed me into that direction. I've always been passionate about it, but he definitely pushed it. So Kane, obviously that's where Kaz gets her passion for the environment from because she grew up with in the environment. But where does your uncompromising passion for the environment come from whether it's cleanups or uh, the organic food or environmentally respectful living where does that come from well it's interesting you ask that because the person i am today i wasn't yesterday um and i wasn't always an environmentalist growing up but i always loved animals and pet keeping and what so, pets did you have as, as a really young child i had a uh, like canaries and stuff of which some of them I didn't look after very well and killed. But uh, saying that, there's a stark contrast, right? Like, I mean, today I wouldn't dream of putting a a little budgie or a canary in a cage, for example. But um, I think it really hit me when I went traveling, okay? I opened my horizons and I traveled across Australia for a whole year. And I really lived close to nature. I had a little camper van, which I drove around the continent. Um, met lots of like-minded people that, that were traveling as well. But the connection you get to nature, because like you'd get up at night to, to go to the loo um, and you'd see these luminous green frogs and snakes and bandicoots. And um, well, I, I thought the Tasmanian devil was a cartoon until I was there. Um, but they became really apparent and real when I was there. Dingoes and wallabies and kangaroos. And when I returned at the time to the UK, I couldn't stand it, so I came back to Malta. It took me two weeks to decide to come back to Malta. And this sort of drive and passion to question what's in nature was really strong at this point. So I said, oh, I wonder what's here in Malta. So I started looking around, and what what I did see was, yes, there is some nature, but amongst the nature, there was tons and tons and tons of little bits of fragments of plastic. And it really hit home. And then after that, I decided, okay, I want to, I want to find out more about this nature and how everything's interacting. So I actually read a degree in animal sciences back in the UK. So I went back against my will because I'm a warm, loving creature. I love Malta. I love the sea. Well, I was born here. Maybe, that, maybe I'm biased. But yeah, there was this sudden realization. After I came back from uni, um, I felt this emptiness as I'm sure many people that went to uni can relate you have these solid three years of back-to-back assignments exams and all this craziness and all this pressure I mean that's what makes you that's that's what uni is there for to teach you how to cope with such situations and how to learn fast and how to how to look at things and when I came back I felt this slight emptiness and I could still see all this damage around me but then I realized that not everybody's noticing not everybody's got time to look really close and notice and acknowledge. But as you say sometimes, Trudy, and I'm sure the listeners have heard you say, say it before, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. And this happened to me and it happened at the right time because I was at that moment in my life where I wanted, to, I had this massive drive to make change after coming out of a really intense university course. 
And that's where Get Trashed Malta was born. Under the name Kane Vella on Facebook, um, I set up a snorkeling event. And I think it was called something like Enjoy Snorkeling While Cleaning the Sea or something really simple, you know. And I went down to Golden Bay and it was a really rough, windy day. And suddenly I looked back and there were 60 people there. And people egging me on to do this again and to... to it was crazy. It, it just kind of all fell on me, you know. And yeah, Get, Get Trashed Malta was born. The name was just a playful thing I came up with, you know. Um, but people liked it. Some people didn't collaborate with me because they, <laughs> they thought it had something to do with booze and they're like, oh no, <laughs> you know. But it was catchy, it, it stuck, you know. And yeah, that's that's how this was all sort of born. And then, of course, I met Cass and we set up a company that uh, pushes eating local because we could reduce packaging and all this stuff. And then we realized but the, the, the only way we can justify eating local is to actually grow food. And it so happened to be that I come from a family of Maltese farmers. They didn't always use these sort of ethical practices. Um, they would go with the times, you know, if a new plastic film was invented to cover the ground to prevent weeds, they would use it. If there was a new spray to spray against insects or weeds, they'd use it. But we kind of revolutionized the farm, the family farm. And now we're where we are now, but we'll talk about that more, I guess. Well, exactly, because I want to come to that in just a moment, because I want to look at that in depth. But before we get there, you mentioned two things about your journey, and I'm sure, Kaz, this applies to you as well. You mentioned that you had travelled and you had seen another country. And you also mentioned that when you came back to Malta, you could see the trash, and probably because you'd been abroad and, and experience something else. Now, I was recently walking in Tarjigat, and I saw a group of young people having a beer sitting on top of an abandoned building. And there's no issue there. I'm not, you know, no condemnation there. But then I saw the young lady of the group hurl the trash down the slope of and into the field below. And of course, I saw red and said a few rude words. But tell me, because I don't understand why people don't care about the environment. What is the psychology behind that young lady throwing their trash down into the field below when we have a beautiful, beautiful island? The same applies to flicking cigarettes out of your car window or dropping trash at the beach, not thinking about where it's going to go. Well, truly interesting you say this. Now, if the floor was wet around us, would you think twice of dropping water on the floor? Well, no, of course because there's already water there. So it's kind of a psychology. I mean, if you're surrounded by this trash, but you don't actually realize it's there, it suddenly becomes the norm. And of course, history and upbringing plays an important role in this too. But if your parents never said, oh, listen, don't do that as a small child if you drop something, if they're the ones throwing their cigarette butts, um, it's, it's not going to be apparent. It's not going to be obvious to you. And yes, you do start to see red when you see these things because you cannot unsee it. You've seen it. You've, you've experienced it. You know, you've seen all this trash or you've been somewhere where it's not there. In fact, there were quite a few studies abroad where there's kind of a whole psychology behind littering. And if you see a pile of trash, you're more likely to add on to it. You cannot explain it fully. I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But if something's there, it's easier to add to it. Most countries I've been to that are very clean, the, the people 
in society will police the situation. We need to pick people up and tell them about it and not be scared, you know, because of this fear of telling people. And when I, when I was running Get Trashed, <laughs> I would tell people, listen, you just dropped your cigarette on the floor. I'd pick it up right after them and just like wave it in their face, like, you know, and I think psychologically that would help people stop littering you know just tell them about it it's wrong it does help though i've seen this with like your friends that you grew up with um i mean you you've been with them since childhood and you, you always tell them you know they smoke and you tell them not to flick their cigarettes on the ground and i see them if we're at a barbecue together you know then they tell their friend if they see their friend doing it then there's like no you can't do that so it's been passing on you've done that so much growing up like towards your friends that now they're doing that towards other people so it's it's been spreading but I think also what you're saying about upbringing is very important um, because for me you're saying this woman just threw this uh, pile of rubbish down the I cannot wrap my head around like fathom what would possess someone to do that um, I'm understanding the psychology that Kane's saying but I, I also then have a memory of being I think five years old and I was at school and I had a piece of rubbish. I had a complete breakdown because I was like, there's no rubbish bin. I need to go in. I don't know what to do. So then I buried it under some gravel. And I was like, okay, I'm going to need to come back after class. And I need to, you know, I had this whole breakdown at the thought of littering. You know, it was like absolutely criminal to think that someone would do that. You know, I was like, I'm going to have no friends if anybody sees me do something so terrible. So I guess you have this kind of societal policing, as you're saying. Based on that, it would suggest that we don't have that policy and we don't have that policing and we don't have that attitude here in Malta because even, you know, I regularly take the dog to Tajigap and I'm regularly picking up the trash, cleaning the area, coming back the next day and it is dirty again and people have dumped their trash again. So what is the answer? What is the answer to what we're doing? particularly here in Malta? Well, to be honest, we need to re redesign the wheel from the beginning, okay? We need to, because we have this one-use culture, okay? You go to the shop, you buy a drink. It's in some sort of a container that you use once. We need to redesign the wheel totally um, because this will be the solution. It will nip it in the bud. Um, so let's say, for instance, you go to the shop and instead of having a fridge full of plastic water bottles, you can just fill up a bottle and that's the only option. Um, when we, when we mention this, oh no, oh no, and all sorts of excuses. Now these excuses, I think, stem from a business perspective. If I run a business, or uh, in any business, let's say let's say the plastic industry. Let's focus on plastic litter. The plastic litter industry is the oil industry, very powerful, and so it's really hard to redesign because the whole economy is sort of surrounded by this. So we need people in the position that that actually regulate the economic sector to step in and i think we're seeing this slight shift we have uh, we have one ministry in the government that is looking after economy and uh, sustainability at the same time and at first i couldn't understand i was like what is this is this some political whatever i was like i can't understand why and then i started putting one and one together i said actually it is a whole economy. Nature is an economy. Ecology is economy, okay? So if you live in the middle of a jungle where all these external human factors didn't exist, there's a whole economy going on. There's lots of bargaining, lots of com competition between plants and animals. And we, we need to try and mimic this, like we mimic 
birds to create planes. We mimic uh, sonar to see things under the sea and we mimic bats to achieve that. We should mimic nature in the way we live totally, as much as possible. I know it's difficult because we've all been brought up living a certain way and having certain so-called standards. We need to kind of redesign the wheel and take a step back and enjoy the simple things in life. Because when you start to enjoy the simple things, like fresh veg, for example, you start to realize that you don't need to go to a shop and buy something that's been that used to be veg that's been heavily processed, packaged, shipped, refrigerated, um, all these things that are sort of a minus to the economy of, of nature. We want to promote the things that are a plus to the economy of nature. And by doing that, we can start to understand and reduce the impact we have on our biodiversity. Let's look at the biodiversity of the world as our bank. If we deplete the bank, then we're going to deplete ourselves. So we need to look after our bank. But doesn't it come down to convenience? Of because course. Because you go into a, a, a shop, there's a plastic water bottle, and you can buy it, and you can drink from it, and you can throw it away. To be able to fill your water bottle before you leave the house takes a little bit of time to remember. And then after you've used the plastic, you've got to make sure that you put it in the recycling instead of just a general uh, dustbin. This is all about convenience. It's the force of habit. If you went to the supermarket and bought a cabbage and thought about the time it took you to go and buy that cabbage, you have to leave the house, go and fuel your car, park it up. It takes 15 minutes. Then you have to go in the shop, pick the cabbage up, queue up. And if you thought about all the energy it took to get that there, all the energy it took to produce the bag that you put it in, that you're going to dispose of ultimately when you go home. If you thought about all that energy and the energy it took to actually grow the cabbage, it's incomparable. So if you had a small patch of soil where you lived and instead of spending nine hours working, you spent five hours working at a job to earn your money and those latter four hours actually growing some food, you'd probably save a lot of time queuing up at the supermarket and fueling up your car and this and that and money. Habits are hard to die, you know. You you have these habits in you that are just it's just difficult, and and I don't want people to look at certain members of the public and say, oh, they're amazing because they're looking living this lifestyle. I mean, even people um, internationally like Greta Thunberg have been photographed eating a takeaway on a train. You know, I mean, she's only human. Why criticize her in this way? You know, she has habits too. Maybe her parents, that's what her parents did before they became came active and had a, an active child in, in this sort of realm. Well, I want to pick up from what you just said there about this change of lifestyle and, and working less and, you know, make oh, producing. Like that, right? I like you that. want to work less. <laughs> I, I like that. But producing your own uh, food and so on. And you make me think of a television show that was in the UK when I was growing up called The Good Life. Uh, and you are the couple from The Good Life because you are the guys with the Wellingtons and with the, the plot of land and you're the guys that are making your own food. Is that where it came from? You decided that you wanted to change your lifestyle. Where, where did Bio Munch come from? I, as coming from a dance background, I've been very passionate about health and nutrition and wellness. Um, and uh, so I started off doing actually healthy baking. That's how Bio Munch started. So I was doing like cookies made with chickpeas and oats instead of butter and flour. 
Um, I would make cheesecake made with cauliflower, you know, things like this. So we started off with this and then we did the fully local challenge because I, I was really like, Kane, listen, everything we ever need is in this country. I don't see why we need any imports. You know, in Malta, you can grow 365 days a year. There's no reason we need to import anything. Um, so I said, let's let's do this challenge. Um, he was on board with it and we did it together. And as we were doing it, I was like, I have no business. <laughs> I'm baking these things, but there's just loads of plastic around me. You know, I try my best to get things in bulk and in paper and as much local as possible. But I'm like, it's going to take 10 years till I can grow enough almond trees for enough almond flour for for this business. That's when we kind of had the realization that we cannot really be local unless we're growing it ourselves. Because even when I went to local suppliers and all this and that, it's like it's it's impossible to bake. But you've never done this before. Kaz, you've not ever grown all your own produce before, have you? No, as a kid, I liked to play in my neighbor's garden. Well, that there's, was, there's that a bit was, of a difference. Yeah, there. that was the extent of it. So what I'm saying is yeah. this is a huge challenge. That was a big decision to make. I didn't see why it wouldn't be possible, though. As environmentalists, kind of questioning, I wanted to try it myself because I'm saying if I'm preaching all the time to choose local, I need to see if it's possible. So we did it. <laughs> so where are you at with this right now? We're not a hundred, like 100% fully local you know, eating ourselves. We try and choose local wherever we can. And sometimes we do like kind of, we should get back on this, you know? Um, Because as you said, with the convenience thing, sometimes if we're working in the field for 12 hours, we're like, oh, we'll just go and grab a sandwich, you know? You don't stop and always prepare in advance. Um, But then when we do make our own local meals, you know, a lot of times we'll just have our own local veg with eggs and maybe some fresh tabena from the farm. And then we're like, oh, we grew everything that's here, you know? And it's the most incredible feeling to know that. But you have land available to you that you can do this on. Yes. So let's talk about practical implications. Because if someone, I'm always asking you guys this, if someone wants to make small change, and that's where everything starts, with small change to their life, what can they do today to make change? It starts from you. It starts from within. Because... First of all, you have to be prepared and ready for it. And things that people can do, which are really easy here in Malta because of the fact that Cass mentioned, you can grow veg 365 days of the year. We're not saying go out and grow your own veg if you have nowhere to do it. But what we're saying is you can buy from the local markets, which means you can take your own packaging so it's not wrapped in cellophane and refrigerated and transported halfway across the world. Um, But there's still a a small challenge, like if you're used to eating bananas or or if you're used to eating a certain fruit all year round, then you still have to buy imports. You could slowly get used to eating seasonal stuff and improvise and you'll find as well that you might start to cook things that you've never cooked before and experiment, which is always nice to be artistic and you might discover a, a new you, if anything. And by doing this, you're allowing yourself more time for yourself. And maybe even if you're eating good food and taking the time to go and get it, which means may mean exercise, you, you, might, you might actually feel better and reduce anxiety, especially if you're not eating things laced in chemicals. And that's another thing. That's a whole other environmental perspective of actually living and being, you know eating clean food. So recently there was a news article that, yeah, actually local produce is laced in chemicals. So we even need to go deeper in making our choices, which means we need to take more time to make them. You're talking about whole 
new way of thinking. You're talking about rethinking how we feel about what we put into our bodies, what we do with our bodies, how we stress our bodies, and how we stress our minds as well. And you're talking about just taking the time to rethink everything. Yeah, I mean, you spoke about convenience. Convenience is only here because we're too busy trying to achieve something that really doesn't matter. For example, reaching some hypothetical target at work that you're basing your whole life around and maybe working 10 hours a day to reach when maybe you could just slow down a bit and just make sure you have the, the four pillars that I mentioned, social interaction, food, water, and, and the roof over your head, whatever that may be. I mean, if you do want to strive to build a mansion for a couple of people or a small family, because I mean, back when my granddad was alive, they had 16 children. The houses weren't half the size they are now. So th there's a lot of things you can do. It's not just about not littering because a lot of people, I know you said the problem's still apparent, but a lot of people are past that. They're, they're doing the right things and they're still finding it difficult. But I think there's, there's this, this element of self and looking after yourself. And when you look after yourself, automatically speaking, you're looking after your friends, your family and nature. I love your optimism. And I'm going to leave you with one last question. What is your hope for Malta? What is the hope for Malta? Well, I'm very hopeful because um, the, the age of social media makes it easy for, for people like yourself to put the message across. And I, I, do, um, I do take part in school education and we go and we do gardening and teach people how to grow food and stuff like this. And I can see a really, really keen interest I haven't done some analytical experiment where I have measured this, but you can tell each person you speak to, whether they're exposed to what we're doing or not, have this general understanding. Now, in Malta, we're very lucky, very, very lucky because we're a small island and when we make a small change, it can have big impact. And that's why I never get disheartened because we can, we can work together and, and really influence each other. And I think this new generation and the education system is really good. So I think if we move forward to implement all these values into our education system, we can have a really, really current population that, that is aware and that is making the change for the better. And, and we, can, we can actually give a really good example to the rest of the world. I love your positivity. I, I think you guys always turn a negative situation into a positive outlook. And I love that. Kaz and Kane, please don't stop doing what you're doing. Don't stop being the fine examples that you are. Don't stop drinking the wonderful fine wines. And thank you so much for being on The Interviewer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.